Welcome to Present Company, the Netflix podcast that brings you dynamic conversations with exceptional people behind your favorite series, films, documentaries, and specials. I'm your host, Krista Smith. For years, I was Vanity Fair's ambassador to Hollywood, interviewing countless actors as well as creatives and authorities across the spectrum. My passion is talent, any form of it. How do you know you have it? How do you cultivate it? How do you protect it? And also, I want to get to the heart of what drives it. On this podcast, I'll be talking to people in Hollywood and far beyond. Thank you for joining me. Hello, listeners. I've got a real treat today. I'm going to be talking with Sarah Paulson, and we are going to be discussing her new Ryan Murphy series, Ratchet, which is based on Nurse Ratchet from the novel and then the film One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Sarah also is an executive producer on this project, which makes it extra special. It does not disappoint. It was thrilling from beginning to end. And what is so exceptional about this series is not only is it a visual treat, but nothing is as it seems, and it's so rewarding. (laughs) And so is this interview with Sarah. She's a pure delight. I've known her throughout her career, and we get to all of it. We talk about the early 90s. We talk about her wins and her losses. She discusses how her relationship with Ryan has evolved and how she herself has evolved. We talk about feminism and fashion, all of it. So sit back and enjoy. Here is Sarah Paulson. Welcome, Sarah Paulson. It's great to see you. Great to see you, too. I haven't seen you so long, and now I'm seeing you in this way, which is no longer unique the way it was back in March when we were like, what are we doing? What is this? Right. It was all novel. Now it's Yeah, not- now it's like, oh, God, Zoom, click, boom, but, you know, it just happens now. It's so crazy. So great. Well, I just finished watching your new series, uh, Ratchet. I loved everything about it, and especially you, of course. You're always such a dynamic uh, performer. But something about this series really got to me. And whether it was steeped in the One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, we kind of remember that famous female villainous character of Nurse Ratchet and the Ryan Murphy take on that. And then just the Sarah Paulson glory of it all. The <laughs> It was all working for me. Not to mention Judy Davis, Sharon Stone, oh. Cynthia Nixon, Sophie Okaneda. I mean, it... It's the hits just keep on coming with yes. that. Amanda Plummer, you know, it's just Amanda like Plummer, of course. So I want to ask you, what what goes through your mind when Ryan Murphy, who you've worked with now almost a decade, comes to you and says, hey, I've got this idea? Well, it sort of happened in a little bit more of a circuitous thing, which is that my agent, Hilda, the great Hilda Queeley, called me up and she said, has Ryan talked to you about Ratchet? And I said, No. Now I was sort of offended and thought, oh, he probably wants to give it to Kate Winslet or someone like he's just not going to give it to me. You know, it's too special or something, you know, (laughs) is what I I worried. And then I texted him and said, so what is this ratchet? Are you going to make me beg? Like, what what are we doing? And he said, well, I didn't I actually didn't know if you'd want to do it. Uh, Wow. for, For all the reasons, you know, you were just enumerating. It's it's an iconic performance. It's, you know, I think AFI top five you know, most villainous characters in cinematic history, you know, along with Hannibal Lecter and all these other, you know, true, true villains. And he said, you know, 
also you always talk about how much you love that on American Horror Story, which I'd been on at that point about seven years, you get to play a different character every year. I wasn't sure this is going to be a serialized drama. You will be being the same character year after year. And I didn't know if you wanted to do that. And I was like, no, you just wanted to offer it to Kate Winslet. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and he was like, that's not true. I just didn't know that you, you know, he said, let me just send it. And of course, once he enumerated all the reasons why I might not want to do it, I thought, oh, he might be right. I might not want to do that. That might just be like a, a real opportunity for global humiliation. And I maybe just want to sidestep that. But then I read it and I got past like page three quarters of the way down the first page. And I thought, well, if he doesn't let me do this, I'm going to, I'm going to lose my mind. So. Also, I mean, I know for you, for having watched your work now for so long and knowing you a, a little bit the way I do is that you give all, you give everything in that performance. When they say cut, you're not cracking jokes and, you know. No, I'm in the corner shaking. saying, yeah. oh, Do we have to do it again? I don't think I can do it. Yeah, I think it probably speaks to a little bit of my, um, I don't know, limitations as an actor. I think I admire those actors who can, who can really go there and then, you know, pop right out and say, wait, did somebody call? Who do I have to call at lunch? You know, I think it's kind of a real feat. I don't know how to do that. What was the hardest thing for you approaching her? I think my uh, biggest concern was how can I enter into this without coming up against a publicly held belief about who this character is? And would I be able to move around that? Would anybody coming to the table to watch it be able to remember that this is an origin story? It's a prequel. It, It predates the movie by two decades. So you know, I'm not the same person I was 20 years ago. Are you the same person you were 20 years ago? So this this does not have to be um, a carbon copy of what Louise Fletcher does in the, in the movie. I could never do that anyway. It's it's too brilliant what she does. Um, and you do know that that like every actor in town turned down that part when Milos Forman was making that movie. Nobody wanted to play it because they were so afraid of 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 being branded as an unlikable, unsympathetic woman. And mm-hmm. I think it's very brave that that Louise Fletcher took it and of course just you know, forgive the, she murdered it, just absolutely killed it and won an Academy Award for it. And, you know, is of course indelibly in our minds for, for, and the rest is history. Um, but I think I thought, I just don't know if that's something that's wise to do. She did something so perfectly. And I think people are going to be expecting Cuckoo's Nest. And that's not what this is. This is, this is um, the story of a becoming. This is, this is watching someone on a journey and by the first eight episodes you realize we have we still have 15 years pre-cuckoo's nest by the time we're the end of, of season one so um you know i i just i thought is that something i'm going to be able to move around and can i expect an audience to move their opinion of her their preconceived idea about her to the side and and i had to move my own I mean, this sort of similar thing happened to me when i played marcia clark it was like i don't want to play that woman she was so you know and i had to confront all these uh, beliefs I had about this woman I did not know, uh, and then I sort of just drank the Kool Aid that was um, handed to me by the media, the 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 cup that is the media that the media was passing around that I just drank, drank, drank down um, about her. Never did any real investigation about anything uh, until I was playing her. It was sort of similar to that that feeling of like, oh, I, I you know, I, I don't think I can, I don't think I can do it, but. The truth of the matter is, and this is not dissimilar from Marsha Clark, she, she, 
you could argue when you when you watch the movie that Louise Fletcher was actually that Nurse Ratchet was actually um, a product of a, a patriarchal infrastructure in that hospital. You know, this movie was what was it, 74, 75, sort of second wave feminism, you know, happening outside those walls. And, you know, who's to say she was a person who could be encouraged or even know that it was possible for an integration of her sense of what was right from a medical standpoint and her empathy and that some of that as a woman she might have had to compartmentalize in order to do her job and and people don't talk about that when they talk about the performance and they don't talk about uh they just talk about what a bitch she was or how horrible and cruel and villainous and and it's true she does some really questionable things but they're really questionable within the context of what was permissible right. and, and what would you or I have done? What would we like to imagine we would have done in the same circumstance? Would you have taken Billy Bibbit aside and said, what are you doing? And, you know, and as opposed to threatening him with the most you know, dangerous thing possible, which is to tell his mother, which then causes him to commit suicide, which then causes Jack Nicholson to strangle her in the hallway, which then causes her to give him a lobotomy, which causes Chief to put the pillow over. I mean, it's just like these little mistakes and these moments yeah. that just have just enormous consequences. So it was an interesting thing of like coming up against my own thought about her and then rewatching the movie and going, wait a minute, wait a minute. What was she expected to do? It takes a particular person to be an activist in their work environment. Mm -hmm. It takes a particular person to stand up and say, this will not stand. I won't be privy and party to this. Well, let's talk about some of the fun that's involved okay. in Ratchet, because there's <laughs> yeah. a lot of fun that's involved, like suppressed identities and everyone is not what you think they are. And that's what I loved about it, because you enter and you end with a completely different perspective. But the shallow part of me couldn't get over the wardrobe, couldn't get yeah. over the colors, couldn't get over the hats, couldn't get over your waist. Uh, I couldn't get over, you know, Judy Davis and her and her nurse outfit. Believe me, I know. Well, that's all Ryan. I mean, Ryan is, uh, I think I'm going to say this right, even though, you know, you'll tell me if you remember this and if I'm wrong, because I feel like it was talked about publicly, but like, didn't Quentin Tarantino talk about how the best way to do anything well, if you don't know what it what it is, is to hire the people who do know everything about that. You know, if you don't make, if you've never made a spaghetti Western, hire the guy to shoot it who's made all of the great ones, you know? And so I think Ryan has that same sensibility of, you know, you hire the best people to help execute what he knows he has in his brain, but he's maybe, you know, Judy Becker's, the production design, the way she made the floors in that hospital reflective. So you were always seeing the bottom and the top. And sort of as you were speaking thematically about the show in terms of like nothing is what, you know, the view from the top is not the same view from the bottom. And so who is the person in between? It's just so smart and the saturated colors and Lou Eric with the clothes and the texture. And, you know, Ryan, I can't tell you the number of emails that went back and forth about the color of our nurses' uniforms and the different swatches that I would go to these fittings and Lou would be like, well, now he doesn't like this one. There's too much blue. This one has too much green. I think I found one that, you know, and the number of mock-ups and things that we made and because he has such an idea in his head about what he wants it to be and he hires people who speak Ryan Murphy and who know what he means. But I can't tell you, because I did, you've watched the show, but I walked down the hall a lot on this program and I'm telling you the number of times I almost twisted my ankle because the floor was uneven. She made a set that was like a very old building. You know, usually you people craft a, a set that actors are going to be working on and they make it so perfect in a way that it it never looks. But there there was like undulation in the floor and on the ceiling and in the walls, you know, and it was the plaster was lumpy and it was just so 
genius. I just, I couldn't get over it. I would just marvel at it all the time. And the wallpaper and the nurse's lounge and the, you know, just the, the pink. And, you know, Cynthia Nixon, we had to talk about this. And I guess her son watched the show and he said what I thought was so smart and, and so astute that traditionally movies or television programs that are set in this kind of noir or have that kind of feeling are often told in light and shadow. And this mm-hmm. show is told in saturated technicolor. It's got this like Amadovar, Douglas Sirk, Hitchcockian feeling. Uh, and what it does, it's actually so much more unnerving because you're so busy going, look at that hat. Ah! And then, you, you know, look at it, but it's just like, you, you think it's one thing, you think it's far from heaven. And then you're like, oh no, it's really, it's nightmare far from heaven. And it's, oh, it's a love story. Oh, you know, it, 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 it is everything. It's such a universe. And that is a thing I think Ryan does better than anybody. He just, you lift off that manhole cover, you jump down and you are not seen, you know, you're not seen for a couple of days until you decide you want to reemerge back into real, real life. How has your relationship with him evolved? Because I think about when you first started working with him, it was at least 10 years ago, right? So how... How has it evolved and changed? And like, what do you guys, I mean, I imagine obviously you have discussions and arguments about things everybody does and, and you have total agreements about it, but how would you describe your relationship? I, I think, uh, you know, there is a mysterious part of it to me. Like I think any great marriage or any great friendship, there is something about it. You don't know exactly why it works as well as it does. It just works. And if you do too much uh, deep investigation, you might find a bunch of things you don't want to find. So I sort of like that, that part where I go, I can't describe it uh, in any you know quantifiable way, except for what I do know is that Ryan, for some reason, from the very beginning with me, he was always just like, you're not afraid of your anger. I'm going to give you a part where you can play some, you know, I think that's a very special part of you. You know, a lot of women are afraid of that and and you're not afraid of, of, of your rage. And so let's give you, you know, he would just kind of see me in these ways and, and then ask me to bring forward the, the part of me that I probably kept quieter. He was sort of an excavator in a way uh, of me and um, therefore revealing me to me in a way that was really powerful. And um I remember when he called me and he wanted me to play Marsha Clark and I thought he was absolutely nuts. And I thought I just didn't want to do it. And he just said, well, you're doing it. And that's what it's going to be. And I was just like, oh, okay. And then I did it. And obviously my entire life changed after I played that part. There's no question about it. It's like pre Marsha Clark and post Marsha Clark in terms of my work life. There's just no question. But what's happened in this very special way. And I think very rare way. I mean, I had a conversation with Sharon Stone about this not too long ago about how in her working life, she never looked around and saw other women who had been empowered and certainly not been empowered by men. And the fact that Ryan actually said to me, once, once it was clear that I was going to play Ratchet, he said, now we have to do the thing that we haven't done yet in our relationship, which is, I want you to step into your power with me a little bit. And I want you to be an equal of mine. I want you to be a collaborator and I want you to executive produce this show. And I want you to own a piece of it, which was, which was, for me, um, a kind of stunning uh, experience to have him look at me and say, you're, you're ready for this in our relationship. Our working relationship is ready for this next step. And it's all fine and good for him to think that. It's a very different thing for him to call Netflix and say, I want her to be an EP. I want to give her percentage points on the program. I want her to own it. I want it to matter to her in a different way. I want her to feel her her power. I want her to have agency here. And he kept saying to me, you've earned this. 
you've earned it. And I think of the millions of uh, people in the world who have earned their places uh, and never get to have the pleasure of, of um, experience really the fruit of their labor because, you know, Ryan just, he, he is so uh, empowering and has been for me uh, it, since the beginning, since I've known him and, and who's to say exactly why, but I, I do know that it is the rarest thing in the world. Um, and, you know, when I hear Sharon talk about her early working life, it's just, she was so generous with me in the way she would talk about it, about how happy she was, how, what a joy it was for her to, to be able to look at me and see it happening in this way. And because a man allowed it to be so, and it's a pretty powerful thing and something that I am, um, acutely aware of the rarity of it and the specialness of it. And it's to me the most precious relationship in my life because it, 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 um, and it's not to say that my relationship with Holland is any less important. It's just, it's a relationship that is very different, obviously. Um, but it, it helped me discover what I was capable of. It's like he introduced me to myself in a way. Mm-hmm. Did, did that agency in this series, did it change the way you woke up and got out of bed every morning to, to approach the day? Absolutely. Because I felt, even though I was terrified and, you know, if you lifted up my, you know, little skirt, like you would see my knees were probably a little wobbly because I thought I want to be able to meet the moment. I, there's something about him doing that where he says, I see it and I know it and I know you're ready for it, but I have yet to kind of walk to, you know, it's like being on a bike with training wheels and sort of looking back, I keep looking back at dad and he's like, you're fine keep going. And I'm like, but, but keep going. And and then eventually I'm riding the bike. And, um, so yes, I would walk into the trailer and people would ask me questions. And Sharon one time came up to me and said, I I'm freaking out. And she's told this story publicly. So I feel like I can tell it. She said, I, I, I've never worked in television in this way where I'm shooting episode three, one day and episode six, the next day with a different director. And I don't know how to calibrate this stuff. And I don't even know Ryan's on a plane. I don't know what to do. And I said, I, said something to her and I can't remember what it was, but she said it was so peaceful for her to know that she could come to me and that I was able to help. And I remember feeling a real sense of pride that, that I was able to offer something, having spent so much time working in television and doing this. And particularly with Ryan, we don't have scripts very far in advance. You're really working on the fly. And I think what I said to her is you can only do the day, be in the day that you're in and the character is in the day that you're in and the characters in the day she's in and you you don't have the story of episode six yet. You just have to be here. And, and, you know, what can we do? This is, this is the the world we're living in. We don't have a choice. And, um, you know, so I, but it was wonderful to, you know, he sent me cuts of the show and I haven't watched my work since pre OJ. I haven't watched it. I don't watch myself. And so I had to do this other thing of like, removing the part of myself that was dealing with, you know, my aging face and the sound of my voice and uh, <laughs> the choices I was making in the scenes and not being able to do anything about it. It's done now. And, and sort of saying, you have to compartmentalize this and zoom out and think about the show as a whole. That's your job. You don't just, you're not just inhabiting this box of actor here. You have a bigger responsibility. And, um, you know, and there were times when I remember Cynthia Nixon needed to go home to her family and she was commuting back and forth and, there were days where the producer would come to me and say, Cynthia's trying to get on a plane and she's got a, you know, one of her kids is, has a school play and she's trying to get back. And so it meant I would have fewer hours as a, the executive producer in me said, I'm not going to get the extra sleep that I'm entitled to as an actor because I want the other actor on the show to be able to get home to her family. 
So I will come in early so that she can get out. And this is not to say like, look at how great I am, but it, it's to say I had to sort of move into a space that my brain was not used to. My, I was used to just looking out for me and I had to actually look out for, for everyone. And it was, it was totally uh, illuminating uh, in terms of how narrow my, my view had been on sets in the past, you know, and it was, it was scary. I don't know that I did it well all the time, but I do know that I'm ready for more because I'm greedy that way. <laughs> and once you own a little bit of it, and once you have real agency and real um, authority is the wrong word. Cause I don't, I don't like uh, how it sort of just separates you from, from other people, but people came to me with questions and I could answer them. And that was a really, that was a lovely feeling. And Ryan sending me edits and asking my opinion and, and taking some of my notes. And that was the other thing too, of sometimes saying, I don't agree with you. He would say to me, and we hadn't had that dynamic before because I'd never, you know, and it was hard because I would say, but I know I'm right. And he said, I know you're not. And it's like, <laughs> okay, okay. You know, and he's the boss and he gets the final say and he's earned that right. And, and it was just, it was a very interesting, wild thing. I love this. that. <laughs> I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm right. I know you're not. And I know you're not. <laughs> well, you mentioned Marsha Clark. And I have to say, if I were to, if someone were to say, give me three performances that are Sarah Paulson, I would say Glass Menagerie, because that is oh. a performance of Laura I have never forgot. I was there. I saw it. Mm -hmm. I was blown away to 12 Years a Slave. As that wife, I mean, incredible performance. And of course, Marsha Clark mm -hmm. would be the third. Yeah. But all of that led me to a deep dive on IMDb. Because oh. <laughs> I was oh. trying wow. to I was trying Whoa. to figure out when I met you very specifically mm -hmm. when you came into my office when I was at Vanity Fair. And I it's remember a, it. I remember. I, mm -hmm. I remember it so Thank vividly. And I was like doing my dive and I was like, oh, my God, the 90s was really good to Sarah Paulson. Like <laughs> I watched the trailer of um, Levitation, a movie. Oh I was like, I'd never seen that. She's so good in the trailer. It was amazing. You had a lot of college. In I was a, a, a puff, a baby puff face. <laughs> You're really young. Like a young face. But you did The Long Way Home with Jack Lemon. You hitchhiked across America with Jack Lemon, and then you were Perfect. Diane mm -hmm. Keaton's daughter and the other sister. And that's where I think I met you because I remember you did a killer Juliet Lewis impression I in my did. office. I did. I did yeah. do a killer Juliet Lewis impression in your office. I remember it. Yep. 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 But that's... what do you remember about that time for you? Well, I mean, I had moved to Los Angeles and I had an agent, which was great. I spent a full year not working, which I hadn't experienced because, you know, right out of high school, I was understudied Amy Ryan and the Sisters Rosenzweig on Broadway uh, when I was 18, turning 19. And then I went to Wilmington to do a show called American Gothic. Um, I have a real theme of American in all the, you know, American <laughs> Gothic, American horror story, American crime story, Mrs. America. I mean, it's just like a real, it's a really <laughs> weird, it's weird. It's very weird. Um, and then I just found myself in Los Angeles and all of a sudden I didn't work for about a year and uh, I got very scared. And then I got a call and I got offered that Jack Lemon road picture, which was a CBS movie of the week. Remember a big old MOW? Those were a big thing back then. And I remember I didn't audition for it. I got it. I don't know how I got it. I think actually Lynn Crestle, who cast Law and Order and I had done a Law and Order, she cast it. And so that's how I got it. And it was, it was one of those experiences where there I was in Canada with Jack Lemon, who would keep... Um, 
chocolate, dark chocolate in one pocket for himself. And I like milk chocolate. So he'd keep milk chocolate in the other pocket for me. And he was so dear to me. And it, I just, I, it was just one of those wonderful experiences, but it was also lonely. I didn't know what I was doing. I look back at those performances and I think, who the hell did you think you were? I mean, you just confidently were making choices left, right, and center. And I don't know that they were good ones, but man, that thing about youth where you just go, yeah, I can do this. It wasn't until later where I started going like, I don't think I know what I'm doing. And then the other sister was the greatest, you know, I have now had a 24 year relationship with Diane Keaton, friendship with Diane Keaton. That has um, been one of the great friendships of my life. Um, and that happened on that movie. And so, you know, it was a, a time of uh, my living in a little apartment on Doheny that was a studio apartment. I had a Murphy bed and my car got towed all the time because I, you know, didn't put it in the right place because I just learned to drive out in LA and my parking tickets all the time. The dry cleaner across the street calling me going like, Sarah Paulson, your car's being towed. It was <laughs> just a really LA sort of <laughs> experience. You know, it was, but I stayed. I stayed in LA until I went back to New York to do Glass Menagerie and all of that theater moment. It's interesting how you view it as like, I didn't work for a year, which I get in an actor's terms, that's like dog years. It feels like seven years, right? But if you look at the whole sum of your career, it's kind of incredible that Mm -hmm. you have done it all. You've played it all. And then this relationship actually, ironically, the most important relationship in your life happens at a time when most actresses are in a cold sweat of the, the, the approach to 40. It's like, as soon as you hit 36, it's like, I might as well be 40. Oh, really? Truly. But, but you hit that moment with Ryan and it feels like now it just has gotten better and better and better and better for you. There's no question about it. But, you know, I, I still am waiting. I'm still waiting. I still feel like I've got one hand on the, you know, the window pushing up and the other foot, foot is pushing down. And I'm just trying to keep the window open for as long as possible because, you know, there is that fear that it's just going to come crashing down. And some of that is that, you know, feeling you have when you're a young actor and you have all these fantasies and hopes. And I wanted to be Julia Roberts. And I just, you know, had all these dreams and things that I wanted to be Julia Roberts too, but for different reasons. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, being Julia Roberts would be nice. Um, But, you know, I, I, I think there was a real chunk of time and you're right. When I look back at it, if I were to look at my IMDb, I would also probably think, Oh, I really was working. I, you know, I absolutely paid for my life. I could pay my rent. I could eat a meal. I, you know, put gas in my car. So there was no question that it was somehow it was working, but it never felt like it had any velocity. Nothing felt like it was connected to something. It never felt like it was going anywhere. It wasn't building. It felt like, yeah, I would get a job. It was just like jumping from stone to stone. It didn't ever feel like it was taking me anywhere creatively either. And it, and, but I, you know, I, I think I just somehow was a tenacious person and just didn't give up. But I think when you're, when you're that age and it seems like it's not happening when I was like 31, 32, you know, studio 60, then it gets canceled and it seems like it's going to be the biggest show in the world. It is in in my mind. Let me just say for a lot of people, it is. (laughs) (laughs) It's a, it's a classic. It's a classic. And yeah, except for it just like, we really thought it was going to be a thing that it really just wasn't. Um, So I had a lot of almosts. And so then I thought, well, maybe it's just not going to 
maybe I'm never going to work in the way that I dreamt about working. And then it couldn't have. So I have a little bit of a feeling inside of me that that happens. I think when you're a younger actor, when it, you know, some actors really, it hits when they're in their twenties or mid twenties or early thirties. And then I think they kind of feel okay. But I still have that fear because I'm 40, 45 years old and, you know, but I am doing work that I wouldn't have known what to do with in my mid thirties. That's for sure. And, you know, I do think we are entering an era, certainly post uh, Me Too, where there, cert- there really does seem to be a movement towards female-centric stories being as interesting to people who are making things and producing them as they are to all of us. I mean, we do make up more than 50% of the population. You would think they'd want to cater to some of that. But, mm-hmm. you know, we have shows like Killing Eve, and, you know, now we have ratchet and you know we have uh, i mean i may destroy you which is like i think maybe my favorite thing i've seen in a very very long time and there's a woman who you know wrote directed stars in it's just you know mm-hmm. kind of it's a wonderful handmaid's tale all these all of these wonderful opportunities for women um and it's that part of it is great but i do worry I do worry that I think it's just your nature to worry. If you didn't worry, you it, it keeps it. I think I it's, think it's, I think it's your nature is like, I don't think you're comfortable sitting in comfort. You know, do you want me to pay $150 for this session? When we're not <laughs> you might be right. You might've you hit the nail right on the proverbial head because yeah, I think it's true. I, well, because I was talking to somebody about this recently too, about how there is no space around if you're a woman particularly, but I think in general, but I think this happens a lot between women for celebrating yourself and your achievements. There is, you know, we always celebrate these uh, moments where you meet someone who's accomplished a lot and they seem so down to earth and so self-deprecating and, and we applaud that. But when somebody walks out of the room coming in and they've said that they know what they want or how they like to work or what they need. And then they walk out of the room and we're all like, oh God, you're awfully confident as if it, that's a pejorative. <laughs> You know, and it's like, where's that space where we can allow our own um, pleasure at what we've achieved, you Mm -hmm. know, and I don't know why we have to make ourselves smaller so that other people feel comfortable. You know, it's like a funny internal dance that I always feel. Will I ever allow myself to look around and go, you had real dreams and you had real hopes and you've gotten to, you have achieved some of them. You really have. Are you going to let any of that in at any point in your life? Are you only going to be sort of walking around going, I'm sorry, sorry. Uh, In advance, I'd like to say, I'm sorry for existing. I apologize, everybody. I'm sorry if you didn't like it. I'm sorry. You know, it's, 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 um, oh, did you hear that big truck? Did that truck make an appearance on on this? Maybe, I don't know. I heard something. I heard something. Garbage day. Garbage day, Krista. Well, you know where you're totally unapologetic. You never say, I'm sorry, is the red carpet. Oh, yeah. I don't say I'm sorry there. No, you I don't. do not lead with an apology. And I've never no, I... yet seen a dress wear you, which is, I will say, a huge compliment because you push the limits. You're almost it's like you're a character that's an extension mm-hmm. of Sarah Paulson on that red carpet and you own it. And I love it. And I'm one of the disappointing things about this world that we're living in right now is I don't get your red <laughs> carpet. <laughs> <laughs> for ratchet specifically but in general i know i know carla welsh i have to say i mean god knows we're all um putting it all where it lives because there's so much uh sorrow uh, in the world right now for so many people but some joy that used to be um 
something to indulge in was was the love of fashion and the the the, the real expression. I mean, I think it is something so magical and wonderful and I loved doing it. There's such a prince. I mean, I used to sleep in a, a hat that was called the queen hat and it was like a sequined hat and a tutu and I would take a nice nap in it and sometimes I wouldn't take it off for days and days and days. So you can imagine when someone's like, do you want to wear this sparkly thing? It's got a lot of tool and it's got some feathers and I'm like, yes, please. And I'm never taking it off. Oh, well, no one wears a shoulder pad better than you. I'm just going to say it and put a flat, you know, right there. It's shoulder pad right now. It's my favorite with the sequence. So gorgeous. The more more B. Arthur and Rue McClanahan I can bring, the more (laughs) thrilled I am. I love a Golden Girls Bob Mackie uh, moment. I'm into it. It's so good. Uh, All right. Well, sadly, time's come to an end. And I always ask this question to everybody, especially... For someone, I'm very interested in your response because you've had a career that has ebbed and flowed. But what advice do you have for people out there that are artists that are struggling or the moments that you've learned now that you can look back on those periods of your life of just doubt and no work? What kept you going? What advice do you have for your fellow actors or creators? Yeah, I think something that I did a lot as a young person that I regret and that I know now is an absolute fool's errand was I tried very much to emulate what I thought was the reason a person would be working, whether it was a hair color or the size of their waist or the way they spoke. There was a lot of my um, early days where I was not allowing myself to be present. Um, And I think some of the times when I didn't work, it was partly because I wasn't bringing myself to the table. And so I think what I know now that I didn't know then is that, I mean, there's this wonderful letter that uh, Agnes DeMille, Martha Graham wrote to Agnes DeMille, I believe, uh, about how there's only one you. In, in the universe and that uh, it is your expression and I'm bastardizing this hor- horribly, but um, she talks about as an artist, it is up to you to bring you to the table because there is only one of you. And if you block it, the world will not have it. And if the world does not have it, then you haven't done your, your job here. Um, and it's not your job. She says, it's not your job to judge it or determine how good or how valuable it is, but it is your job to put it out into the world. And so I think the advice I have is to just not excise your true self and, and don't try to conform the, the, the twisting yourself into a pretzel to try to be digestible for any particular person or any uh, subscribe to any idea or any preconceived notion of what beauty is or what talent looks like. It's, it's just a fool's errand and it actually keeps the world from having the only thing you can give the world that the world doesn't already have, which is your you-ness. So you've got to be comfortable letting that be what leads the way. And I think if I had known that, um, I would have been more at peace and I probably would have done work I was more proud of. So I got there eventually in terms of understanding that, but that was partly through the help of, of Ryan uh, seeing me and, and, and throwing, seeing me and then throwing me the ball. Because it's all well and good for someone to go, you're talented. And then they go on to the person who's more established and give them the thing because, you know, that's what people do. He just kept throwing the ball in my direction. And I did take it and I ran downfield with it. That's for sure. I knew it was my shot. But, you know, he was interested in me, not me as someone else, not, not the, not the um, 
the facade. He was interested in what was inside me. So that would probably be the thing I would say. Oh, it's lovely. I love you, Sarah Paulson. It's so great. It's It's so great. I know. So great to catch up. Uh, Thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast. And I can't wait for the world to see Ratchet. Ah! I feel nervous, (laughs) but uh, here we go. Here we go, kids. All right. Till the next time I get to see you in person, hopefully. Thanks so much for joining me. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you've been listening. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. Join me next time for more meaningful conversations here at Present Company.